number four so hopefully we'll get better as well as we go about uh, previewing Ohio State Florida Atlantic uh, press conference today on campus at Ohio State and and Nick Saban had some uh, interesting things to say about discipline which I think will lead us down a really interesting road that we're uh, eager to go down because you and I've had these discussions before and they tend to be pretty interesting and fruitful discussions. Well I think it causes people to think it's caused me to think and, and I've changed my opinion over the years and I don't know if you have, but I know that I have, and I think that uh, what Nick Saban said was was right on. And uh, there are certain circumstances though that dictate what Nick always wants to do and what you can do, uh, depending upon the circumstances in which a player may need discipline or not need discipline. So Ryan Day today at the podium for his, I'm calling it his first press conference as Ohio State's head coach. I know he was the interim last season. Uh, that's a whole different animal. We knew Urban Meyer was coming back. Even if he went 0-3, Urban Meyer was coming back and he wasn't going to fire Ryan Day. Now it's Ryan Day's show. And I guess, um, did anything stand out to you that was particularly newsworthy today? Well, I think there's still a question, Mark. The only thing that stood out to me newsworthy is we knew he was going to call the plays and he Mm -hmm. likes to be in control. And I thought he was very honest about that. And if I were advising Ryan Day, I think that's the exact thing he should do. It's his offense. I've made a statement before that I think he's a tremendous play caller. Mm-hmm. He sees the field. He adjusts well. And he counters plays well. So he'll run certain plays to set up certain plays. And he has a natural instinct and a feel for that. The one question mark that remains is how's the defensive mechanics going to work? You have Jeff Halfley in the booth. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Greg Madison on the field. Let me stop you right there because I was – interested in that split Halfley upstairs Madison downstairs does it tell you anything about who's really in charge because they're listed as co-coordinators no it doesn't I think they work together and have some sort of game plan now in in the past Greg Madison has called plays and when he did call plays he called him from the field when he was defensive coordinator at Michigan Greg Madison works with the front seven mainly and uh, Coach Halfley works with the secondary. So when you look at calling a defensive play, you have to make sure that your front is lined up with your coverage because that determines a lot of run support and different types of run fits. As long as they're on the same page, uh, I don't know. I think probably that that Jeff will probably uh, have ultimate say on what play is being called, but I'm not saying like, no, darn it, we're running it this way. I'm gonna. He might say, "Hey, Greg, what do you like here? It's first and first and ten. What do you like at this field position and this type of personnel in the ball game?" Or Jeff say, "Hey, it's it's third and five, and Jeff uh, understands how important coverage is. Run your whatever uh, right. pass rush stunts you want to run up front, but in the back end, we're going to play this. So I think it'll work fine. You just you don't really know. And Ryan said this uh, throughout the press conference in a number of topics and subjects. You don't really know until you know until it happens." Right. Uh, the phrase that will be said a lot by the Ohio State coaches this year, I predict, is a new one, cleats in the ground. I, I don't know lot, what it means. I heard a lot of cleats in the ground references today from Ryan Day, from Jeff Halfley. I don't know if I heard it from Kevin Wilson or not, but cleats Probably. in the ground. 
Well, I don't. I don't know what it means. I, I don't know what it Let's means. Play with your feet under you. Stay on balance. I could be. I don't, it, could, it could be whatever. Just just yeah. play Ohio State football. Maybe that's what it means. Don't make mistakes. Don't and, play 2019, 2018 Ohio State defensive football. Don't play that. Don't play the give up the big play stuff. They well, don't want that anymore. A lot of big plays. Even in the blowout of Oregon State last year, we started to see the vestiges of what became a season-long problem. Big well, place. a lot of that is because of Urban's mandate was to play a lot of press coverage mm-hmm. on the outside because that was brought about in the 2011? Or well, it was no, after so he got tired of watching Sammy Watkins catch passes in the Taj flat Boyd, run for the 15 Bowl. to 20 yards before he saw, saw an Ohio State defender. Against Clemson, yeah. yes. And so so that, that was year two yeah. of Urban. So uh, what, 13, 14, 13, somewhere 14. around there. No, not 14, but it was... Uh, yeah, 12 or 13. Yeah, and so, but I, I do think with this type of offense, uh, you're not going to see that. Now, you might be more susceptible to screen passes and stuff like that, but I think your athletes will rally to the ball. But I do think that the amount of big plays given up will uh, dwindle drastically by scheme alone. Here's a question I have, though. Um, we're conditioned as Ohio State fans to believe in the potential of the players because we see the recruiting rankings and we know urban recruited well, the know, results to sec <laughs> type athlete yeah but but let's talk about those results because i heard a question to jeff halfley today about jeffrey akuda being a top 10 pick in the nfl draft okay so i'm not saying these guys aren't talented they're very talented but last <laughs> year we saw running backs and receivers run free and not get tackled in the secondary where the defensive backfield is the last line of defense. So mm-hmm. we've still got the same guys. We've got Wade and Akuda and Arnett, and all those guys are fuller. All those guys are back. And I just, to be fair to them and to set people up for realistic expectations, if they're the exact same guys, our assessments of their talents did not necessarily prove accurate last year in stopping big plays. So if they do stop big plays this year, what, I guess we blame scheme for well, a year I think ago? scheme is part of it. And you remember when you assess talent or when the NFL assesses talent, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing it based off of the individual performance. They're not looking at the scheme that Ohio State's running and saying, okay, well, this guy didn't do his job because he had the B gap instead of the C gap on this scheme or or this guy did his job because uh, even though they gave up a big play, our backside corner, watch him lock up and play man-to-man coverage. Right. They're looking at individual talent. Right. Right. They're not looking at a team assessment to base their evaluation on how our players uh, play. And so the talent is there. I just think it's a matter of getting on the same page. And, and you know, they were running that same defense and not making many adjustments uh, over the years. And so – when, when you're a heavy man team, for example, a heavy man team. They were. Press and what happens, yeah. and if it gets to the second level, where's all the secondary? DB's backs are turned. Backs are turned. So the guy's off and running. So I think you'll see a little bit more zone. If it's true to what the 49ers do, you know, the 49ers are a big eight-man front, which I'm a proponent of, and play zone, keep the ball in front of you. Might have a little bit bend but don't break type defense but we'll see what happens I think the key to any defense and the key to any pass defense especially is if you can get pressure with four guys Mm -hmm. if you can get pressure with four guys that helps you in coverage with seven underneath so if you're playing zone you obviously have an advantage and Ohio State should be able to generate pressure to go back to that aforementioned talent that they have up front and the depth that they have up front on their defensive line 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of Greg Madison, uh, what an interesting guy he is. How many guys in the coaching profession can say they've been the defensive coordinator at Florida, <laughs> Ohio State, Michigan, and I think Notre Dame? I know yeah. he's coached at Notre, coached Dame. Notre Dame. Just to have all those on your resume, and Baltimore Ravens, too. He's been at it a long time. He's a lifer. But Greg Madison was the defensive coordinator at Florida in the 2007 National Championship game. He's the guy who unleashed Derek Harvey and Jarvis Moss on Troy Smith. Yeah, so, well, I think Derek Harvey and Jarvis Moss unleashed themselves. <laughs> but Somebody had to tell him let me, okay. I mean, what's that say to you, Bruce, about Greg <laughs> he Madison? He knows how to use talent. Yeah, and so he's he a well-respected guy, talent. right? I mean, obviously, in urban... But he wasn't the D coordinator at Michigan. Don Brown was. I misspoke. He wasn't the D coordinator. No, he was... Don D, Brown was. He was D coordinator under Brady Hoke and... Hope, yes. I, th- I would think it's fair to say that Don Brown played with better talent no than doubt. Greg Madison. I'm not making an excuse for Greg Madison. I'm just pointing out the fact that Don Brown had better talent to play with than what Greg Madison had to play with under Brady Hoke. I remember I was working for games at ESPN, and a lot of Michigan's defense and a lot of their team, some of their best players were former walk-ons. Mm-hmm. You can't have former walk-ons as your best players. You can have one or two feel-good what a great story. The kid triumphs, overcomes, never quits, got a scholarship, ended up in the NFL, fine. But if you're going to base your your program off of getting former walk-ons and turn them into NFL players, you're not going to be Th- very those good. Those are great stories at Indiana and Northwestern. Those yeah. are not supposed to happen at places like Ohio State and Michigan. They shouldn't happen, no. They shouldn't. You had a miss in recruiting yeah. or some kid washed out. Or you get a kid, man, and to be fair, you get a kid that was under-recruited or, or yeah. missed – misevaluated or whatever the, the term may be, and yet he comes there and he overperforms and he does earn a job. But I'm just saying that cannot be a number of your guys. That has to be nope. one or two guys every four years or five years. That's that guy. That's a walk-on that, that takes advantage and, and is was just either grew and matured into the, the position and then accelerated at that position. Okay, so on the defensive side, uh, the presumption that I have is that Jeff Halfley is really in charge, even though he's a co-coordinator. Because here's why I say that. He came from the NFL, okay? So if he comes from the NFL, I tend to think, if you're going to move all the way from San Francisco here, you got to have the last call. I think that's a fair assumption. Okay, so on the offensive side then, so Halfley's the guy, he's like the guy we think is in charge, charge. Right. He's upstairs. On the offensive side... We think that the guy uh, Brian Day brought in from Oklahoma State, Yursich, Yursich yeah, is in charge, charge, because Kevin Wilson was here and Ryan Day was in charge over Kevin Wilson, but Kevin Wilson is up in the booth and Yursich is on the field. I find that a little bit interesting, although okay. does that mean Ryan Day is, obviously he's really in charge because yeah. he's the head man. No, Ryan's calling the place, and the simple reason is he likes to be in control. He said that in his press conference. We talked about that. Halfley's in the boot or on the field because he's the quarterback coach. So he's working directly with the quarterback. So oh, wait he, a minute, Yursich, Yursich, Yursich is on the yes, because he's Thank the quarterback you. coach. Thank yes. you very much. Yursich is a quarterback coach, so he wants to have direct communication with those guys. Kevin Wilson has been in the booth, and Ryan Day was on the field. Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day know how to operate and call a game together. Ryan Day trusts Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson can call plays. Uh, his play calling was evident. Oh, when, he's great. When he, yeah. he he was at Oklahoma, at Indiana. Indiana. And so he and Ryan Day work hand-in-hand. Hand. I think Kevin Wilson, you know, he's 
seems like he's the forgotten guy, right? Because Ryan Day is rightfully the head coach, the sure. star, all that. We get that. But coaches should, will tell you that they will be nothing without their staff. They all have their guys that they see. They all have the guys that they trust. They have the guys that they spend 12 to 14 hours a day with in a meeting room. And they're seeing what they're seeing. And Ryan Day pointed out in his press conference that one advantage to this year is everybody for the past two years has been speaking the same language, mm -hmm. the same verbiage. Yeah. And that's so important. And I do believe, because Kevin Wilson would not be here if Ryan Day didn't want him here. Oh, absolutely true. Yeah, so, absolutely true. Kevin Wilson was a great get for Urban Meyer. Kevin Wilson had issues at Indiana or he wouldn't have uh, left. But he's a great get for anybody. He can coach football. Yes, big he time, can. Big time football coach. Made Indiana competitive. He coached two Heisman Trophy winners, Jason White and Sam Bradford yep. at Oklahoma. Now, you say Ryan Day's calling the plays, and he is. And I am a big fan of a guy named Andy Stanley, who's uh, a great uh, leadership speaker. Okay. And one of the things Andy Stanley says a leader should do in a big organization when you have nine coaches or ten coaches with you, you're that's, Ohio State. Uh, relatively big, speaking, that's a, big. It's a big organization. Yeah. One of the things he says a leader should do is a leader should only do what only he can do. In other words, stick to your specialty. Don't try to do everything. So for people who would say, well, Ryan Day's head coach, he shouldn't call plays. He let right. somebody else. Because in the NFL, there's always this thing with Hugh Jackson. Should Hugh Jackson call the plays? Should he hire an offensive coordinator? Blah, blah, blah. Browns fans have had that fight with their coach for years. But I like that Ryan Day is calling the plays because, to me, that's what a guy in charge should do is not leave his specialty. He got the job because of his acumen at calling plays. So, so why not let him call plays? He was asked today, well, or do you have any involvement in a defensive game plan? The answer is no. I hired coaches to do that. I think that old adage about head coaches shouldn't call plays is kind of fading. And why I say it's fading is that Cincinnati Bengals didn't hire Zach Taylor for Zach Taylor not to call the plays. The Los Angeles Rams didn't hire Sean McVay for Sean McVay not to call plays. The Minnesota Vikings didn't hire Mike Zimmer for not to call defenses. The Minnesota Vikings hired Mike Zimmer to call plays. It's a little extra pressure on head coaches, obviously, because you have to manage a game. You have to manage personnel. You have to manage uh, timeouts. You have to manage uh, what what your thought process is and are you going to be aggressive or you're not going to be aggressive. But I think that old adage, well, the head coach needs to delegate everything and just manage is way out the window. I think it's outdated. I think the league proves that. And you hire Ryan Day as the head coach because you have an offense that is successful and a guy that runs that offense and is responsible for that offense understands exactly what he wants to do on that offense. And another point I want to make on mm -hmm. calling plays, and we made this point on our last podcast, is that great coaches, no matter what level, Brees, all the way down from Little League to the NFL, they ask their players to do what they do best. You're not going to ask your player, like when I was playing, hey, Chris, you're an edge pass rusher. Well, I'm not a pass edge pass rusher. Yeah. That's not what I did best. My job was to tackle the guy. And, and so go tackle the guy. So with Ryan, you have Justin Fields, right? You Devin do. Wilson said that he's never seen a quarterback faster. Well, Mike Vick was pretty fast, but maybe he didn't see Mike Vick Maybe play. he didn't see him, yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. So that gives you a hint or an indication of what type of offense we're going to see. And I love what Ryan said. Look, I'm not going to play scared of getting guys hurt. Can't walk on eggshells. If our guy is a running quarterback, then he's going to run yes. the football. Now, that doesn't mean 
I think it's vital that he tells Justin, hey, when there's not a necessary hit to take, don't take don't a necessary take hit. Sidelines your friend. But for those of you that are, are getting your breakdown of the press conference and to forecast what's going to happen in the uh, game on Saturday at noon against Florida Atlantic, you better understand that it's not going to be what you saw last year. No, we thought last year game. we thought last year they threw it because it was Ryan Day's influence. Uh, I, you're going to see an offense that looks an awful lot like the JT Barrett yeah. offense. That's what I think you're sure. going to see. And I threw in that can't walk on eggshells thing to directly quote Ryan Day because uh, if you're into cliches, there were a lot of cliches today. Well, every press but conference. But here's my yeah. thing: before we get to uh, the Nick Saban stuff, which was not cliched. Um, Let's just contrast Ryan Day to the guys who you and I have an experience with in terms of at the podium. Because this is the guy uh, everybody is going to hang on every word because sure. he's a high State football coach. Okay, so he's not as uh, captivating as Urban. No one is. <laughs> Urban at the podium was magic. He <laughs> for, just, for, for fans and writers for and For everyone. Media. He was a truth teller. Uh, until he didn't in Chicago. But anyway, he was a truth teller. He was brutally honest about assessing his players. Yeah. What did he say? His wide receivers when he first got here were... Not, say, not, a just not, say a train wreck? Basically he, not good enough. For a yeah. coach to say they were a train wreck? I mean, that was like, whoa, because that was, you know, after Tress. Luke Fickle, you can't grade because Luke was never comfortable. He told us right. that on the zone when we interviewed Luke. He's never comfortable in the job. Okay, so he's not urban, but no one is. He's more interesting than Jim Trestle, in my opinion. Agree, disagree? I think he's very measured in what he says. I think he's trying to be himself, but I also think he's very measured in what he says because, let's face it, Urban had the right to be brutally honest sure. and earn the credibility amongst the players. Championship rings. He to be brutally honest. Yep. Ryan hasn't earned anything yet, and he understands that. And so I do think he's honest. I thought he was very honest today, but I do think he's very measured. And when you get in trouble or when you start to think or should I say that or not say that, you go back to keep your cleats in the ground or he to might, start cliches. He might whatever. relax a bit after he gets a few under his belt yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, But, I mean, Tress was Tress. I mean, well, Tress was that's what careful. worked for him. Yeah, it, was work, it worked for him. And, Here's and a little insight. We, you, you didn't get us. much, but... That's all right. When I used to go to Monday press conferences, they used to have them down at the old Buckeye Hall of Fame Cafe down in Grandview, and I would occasionally arrive in time to catch Tress in his car, sitting in his seat with a little notebook, and he was writing, like, very small in mm -hmm. his notebook, and he was writing the questions that he anticipated to be asked. That's him. And answering them, writing them out, because he believed, and I believe this too, if you write something down, it helps you retain it. Yeah. And so when he got to the podium, he had pretty much already faced the question in his mind. He was prepared, and he answered it in the non... He answered how he wanted to yeah, answer. he answered in a, in a way that didn't shed a lot of light on the topic. Yeah, and, and which, is, which is fine, and that was his... Yeah. His way of doing things, but I, 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 you know, it was. I mean, there's, that's just the way it is. There's a scene in the Sting where, in the very beginning of the movie, where two con men rip a guy off of a big bag of money. The art of it was the guy whose money they took thought he still had the money, but instead they had supplanted his bankroll of money with a big ball of Kleenexes. Okay, so. The guy thought he had ripped these con men off, so he got on the train 
and he pulled out this wad that he thought was full of cash and he started going through it and there's tissues <laughs> flying everywhere. There's no. nothing but tissues. And that's how I used to feel when I get home from a Jim <laughs> Trestle press conference and I'd be flipping through my notebook and I'd be going, I got 20 pages here. There's nothing good on them. You know what Tress said tissues. when he got home? Once again, I foiled once, Bruce Hooley. Right. Once again, he won again. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up frustrating the great Bruce Hooley from yes. the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Now, not all head coaches are like that, and Nick Saban at Alabama can be like that, but occasionally Nick Saban gets rolling, and he got rolling well, no the pun other day. No on Roll Tide. Yeah, or, there's a little Roll Tide for you. And you can find this on Twitter. If you want details, you're going to have to find it on Twitter. There you go. Nice. Pat Shermer. Uh, so here is Nick Saban at Alabama Press Day. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. It's about two minutes long, but Chris and I are going to listen to all of it with you, and then we're going to talk about it. You know, there, there's always a lot of criticism out there. When somebody does something wrong, everybody wants to know how you're going to punish the guy. All right? But there's not enough for 19- and 20-year-old kids, people out there saying, why don't you give them another chance? All right, so I'm going to give a speech right now about this. Like, where do you want him to be? Guy makes a mistake. Where, where do you want him to be? You want him to be in the street? Or do you want him to be here graduating? You know, when I was over there at the Nagurski, Musin Muhammad, who played 15 years for the Carolina Panthers, played for me at Michigan State. Everybody in the school, every newspaper guy, everybody was killing the guy because he got in trouble and said there's no way he should be on our team. I didn't kick him off the team. I suspended him. I made him do stuff. He graduated from Michigan State. He played 15 years in the league. All right, he's a president of a company now. And he has seven children, and his oldest daughter goes to Princeton. So who was right? I feel strong about this now, really strong, all right, about all the criticism out there of every guy that's 19 years old that makes a mistake, and you all kill him. And then some people won't stand up for him. So my question to you is, where do you want him to be? You want to condemn him? To a life sentence? Or do you want the guy to have his children going to Princeton. You want to close on that or we want to just... <laughs> you guys are getting me fired up. You better be careful on this one, buddy. You, you might want to just pass that thing on down the road. I'm st I'm okay, so there's Nick Saban. Um, a lot there, your initial reaction to it. Well, my initial reaction is... Coaches are very loyal to their players. Mm -hmm. And the one thing he kept saying stood out. And it was in a singular, not a plural. A mistake. Not mistakes. It's true. It's a big difference. And here's what I mean by that. You've known me a long time. Mm -hmm. You've known me close to 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, closely. I've always been a proponent of second chances. And in some cases third chances is that because of your faith is that because of your dad because your dad as we detail in the book dealt with some tough kids at canton timken as a high school coach and one guy that he had to go get out of a halfway house out of the ymca 
Yeah. So One your dad was jail. into that. You saw that from the time you were. Well, I, I, look, I think it's a combination of everything. Okay. I, I think in, in, if we talk from the faith perspective, biblically, well, you're supposed you're supposed to forgive seventy times seven. Mm-hmm. So that's you just got to keep forgiving. That doesn't mean there's no consequences. You keep forgiving. But I would think my practical experience growing up with my dad, who uh, had a player that lived in the YMCA, we used to go get the player from the YMCA, mm-hmm. and then he'd go the back play. there after yeah. the game, and and we brought him over for Christmas Eve. One year, I woke up the next day. All our Christmas presents were stolen by this player. Wow! And we went to the YMCA, and there's all the Christmas presents, right? And so my dad take my brother and I, and he says to us, you know, "What do I do?" And both my brother and I said, "Well, he's a good player. Keep him on the team. Bring him back." So Rick was a GM even yeah. then. So. But that, and I think that we felt bad for the guy in circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I do think, I believe in what Coach Saban is saying. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I do think, though, there are different circumstances. And obviously, you know, if a guy's convicted, convicted mm-hmm. of rape, he's convicted of murder, um, then there's certain things that you cannot just allow. There's got to be strong consequences. Now, if you kick a guy off of a team... That doesn't mean you stop supporting him. Mm-hmm. I think there's more ways than one just to give a guy a second chance to be able to support him. But he's exactly right when you know you have to give kids opportunities and understand that uh, I know in my youth I've made decisions that I wish I could have back. I don't know if you have. I have. Oh, yes. So I think everybody listening to this podcast has always made a decision sometime throughout their life or made a mistake that's, oh, my gosh, if I could do that all over again. But the key uh, component to what he said is mistake and not mistakes. If you if a guy makes a big mistake, usually when they do come back, and, and um, you'll see this if John Dorsey hires a questionable guy. right? If. Or, or when. <laughs> or if Rick Spielman brings in a guy that has question okay. marks. So there's circumstances behind yes. the evidence and all that stuff. But usually it's a, I don't know, probation? If you yeah, get in trouble again, kinda. it's over? Is that fair? Yeah, but that doesn't happen to the Josh Gordons of the world, which brings me to the point that I always say two things can be true at once. But also, he's speaking in absolutes here, Saban is. He's presenting right. this case of Moose and Muhammad, the guy with owning his own company and seven kids and a daughter at Princeton, as if every kid he lets get away with or get stay on the team after doing something disciplining them and bringing them back is going to end up with, you know, a great family and a professional life. Sure. And that's not how it's going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. The and so you have to make, you have to make individual decisions. And it, I felt there like he was saying, this gives me carte blanche. All you knuckleheads out there who are going to question me. If one of my players gets in trouble, <laughs> this gives me carte blanche to bring it's them an interesting all back way to think about it. because I have Moose and Muhammad over here and he's a success story. Look, Tom Osborne brought Lawrence Phillips back and that didn't end well. Uh, Urban Meyer, you got both ends of the spectrum with Urban. Cam Newton, talk about tough love, made him go to Blinn Junior College. Was that the best thing for Cam Newton? You bet it was. He ended up winning a Heisman Trophy and being a number one overall pick in the draft. But then there are people who always with Urban, not in Columbus, but everywhere else will bring up Aaron Hernandez. If there had been stiffer consequences on Aaron Hernandez at Florida, would that have changed? And you never win that battle. But I'm just saying... I, Nick Saban can't present this as an absolute, like this always well, works. Here's the other other thing, too, with, with Nick or Urban or any coach in this position. It's always very difficult, right? Because you're personally invested into the kids. So there's emotions that go into decision-making 
uh, as whether to suspend a kid, and depending on what the kid has done. I, I, I think Cam was, was it computers? Uh, or? Stolen laptop. Okay, so, all right, we'll go to Blinn College for a year, and you get a second chance. I mean, that's a way you can support a kid. I, I think what you're saying, if you're more talented, you might get more chances. That may very well be true. You know, you, no, you well, come well, on, with Lawrence, it may very well be true. Well, well, you're the guy who coined the term talent trumps baggage. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it it is the case, but I understand because, you know, I, I truly believe in the goodness of, of human beings. I really do. And sometimes I've been. See, I don't. I know. I know. I don't that's, believe well, that's in the goodness between, of humans. No, this is not a bad People thing. People are generally bad. This is not a bad thing. But I, but that, that is a big difference between you and I. It is. And, and. I admit that I've, you know, been taken advantage of. I've been naive, but I also believe in, in the human goodness in, in people, and I want to give everybody every opportunity to make a mistake, to rectify the mistake. But that's not said. I do think that whatever Coach Saban does, or Urban does, or Ryan Day does, or whoever does, there's got to be consequences. You just don't get a a free pass. You know, everything's all normal. There's got to be consequences. And uh, even though I'm such a big, huge believer in one-time mistakes, you know, fine, you did it, earn your way back. Two and three times, you got to start. You got that's when real tough love. Yeah, has I to think there's a lot play. of parallels between coaching and parenting. I believe you can be supportive, but not um, accepting of the behavior. Right. Um, parenting, you never stop loving uh, your child with a. With a kid, uh, a, a player, you sometimes have to say, "And look, That's I can it. still, I can still support you, but you're going to have to go somewhere so else." So, with the with the coach and a coach and a father, since we're both fathers, the difference is, he is ultimately responsible to the university. I don't know in his case if his answers to the president or the athletic director, or maybe the answer to him. I don't know, but he's ultimately on paper responsible to the university. Correct. Yeah. He's responsible for eighty four other guys. Mm-hmm. And so he has a decision to make, and he has to base his decision on what's best for the program overall. Is it best for this kid to come back? I'll tell you one thing that you can't do, in my opinion. I don't think you can leave it in the team's hands on a discipline. They'll they'll always pick the player based on his contribution. But there's an emotional attachment, so you're making emotional Decisions. And people already think the coaches make their decisions based upon whether the guy can help them win games or not. And then I'm cynical. I think they like that's I a think big that's, factor. That's a, I, think it's a, I don't think it's the primary factor. No. I do think it is a secondary factor. Let me Absolutely. say, because people think I'm too hard on Urban, uh, I thought Urban, uh, who was the kid who flipped the bird to the Michigan fans at I'm Michigan? Offensive lineman. And he sat him Big Ten championship game mm-hmm. against Michigan State, and they lost that game. Mm-hmm. That was an impressive piece of discipline, I thought, from Urban Meyer. Yeah, I, but he didn't bury the guy. No, but I mean that <laughs> yeah. was. But he there was a cost to the team at large because of uh, presumably, kid was starting, uh-huh. then he's not starting. Marcus Hall, I think. Yeah, I I it, it was an offensive lineman. Yeah. I thought I don't know if it was Marcus, yeah. or not, but not, I don't I don't yeah I, I don't know who Marcus that might be wrong. I don't know who it was. Um, I, I'll say this though, and this is really crucial, and so those listening, you have to understand that the different circumstances demand different consequences also, right? I mean, that's sure. important on whether a guy gets a second chance. Well, of course, a parking ticket is not the same as hitting your yes, girlfriend. Yes, but, but uh, again, no, I'm, nobody's a proponent of hitting anybody or right. any violence in any way, but you have to look at the circumstances 
and get all the evidence. And I think coaches have access to that evidence to let it play out before you make your decision. And that's why sometimes publicly we may see a guy get a second chance, but we're basing our feelings off of emotion as opposed to the facts that a team or a coach or a general manager or somebody may have in front of them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. And, And so, but in essence, I think, I don't know, have you come around are you a little bit more softer on um, giving guys yeah, second chances? What, well, so what caused your... I am. Well, I mean, I hope, your... I hope it's spiritual growth. I hope. I mean, I used to say to you that I struggle with grace, not get, <laughs> not receiving it, but giving it. And I've received much. So, and you've helped me in that regard. And it is ultimately about helping the guys succeed. So they get to sure. the point where a Moose and Muhammad is. And well, if you have to give a guy a second chance for that to happen, a lot you don't have to give a second chance. They get it. They understand the opportunity. Some guys don't understand the opportunity. So you got to work with them a little bit more. Let me ask you this. I want to see if you've grown in this department. Many people think that coaches care only about one thing. And I'm here to tell you that most of the coaches, I would say 95% of the coaches really do care about every single player and that they turn out to be fine young men and productive members of society. For instance, that's why you instituted Real Life Wednesdays Mm -hmm. that Urban instituted. Urban is not the only guy in the world that does that. Every school does that. Every school has a support system in place for its football players Mm -hmm. and other athletes. Sure. So that they can, you know, achieve at a high level. There's high demands put on to be a Division One football player, but so they support them in how to uh, succeed in the classroom, how to succeed maybe in some off-campus ventures or other things that they're interested in. So I'm here to say that football and winning is extremely important to coaches. They get that. They know their jobs depend on winning and losing. But I'm also here to say that 95% of these guys have a genuine, heartfelt care for their players. And, you know, it's not always about winning. It's only about winning because that's what we as the fans watch Saturday for to see if our team won or lost. But it is to the coach's advantage to, A, your life's easier if you're not getting midnight phone calls. Sure. And if guys come and graduate, even if they don't play, and even if they don't help you win and they graduate, that helps the coach too because that looks good on his resume as well. So, I mean, is their care for the players genuine? It is. And I have no problem with that being a great circle. You know, you help the player, the player plays well, the player learns, player gets a degree, player goes and achieves after college, and you look good as a coach. That's fine. That's how it should work. How's that different than any other job? There's nothing. I mean, if you notice I said job, by the way. If everybody does their job, you know, then everybody wins. Right. Yeah. All right. So, Listen to the Spielman and Hooley podcast on any of your podcast platforms. Yay, iTunes. We finally got it on iTunes. Thank you, it took iTunes. more than a week to get on iTunes. Google Play. Big time. Spreaker, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. They all start with S. Pinecast. I don't know how to do any of it. Yeah. I just so retweet whatever you tweet. You just tweet retweet me. whatever <laughs> I uh, tweet you. And you can email the show, and we hope you do, at uh, SpielmanHooleyPodcast.com. So this is the email that we have today, okay. and it is from Zachary, Zachary in Plain City, and he says, I'd like to hear Mr. Spielman talk about prayers before games uh, with the other team. I think that is so cool when I see that. I guess he's talking about that prayer circle After on the games, field. Well, sometimes cool. before games, I guess okay. I see it in high schools before games, I sometimes see it. Uh, I'm 
You're not going to like my answer, Zachary. Uh, Maybe he hates it too. I believe praying <laughs> with my team. And I mean, it was kind of a tradition to do the Our Father. I saw a lot of players take me in front of their locker and do their own personal prayer, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Um, this I'm not embarrassed to say this. I am who I am. If we won a game, I'd join the prayer circle. If we lost the game, I'd run off the field because I don't want to be around anybody to just kick my rear end. Well, I'm so I, I like to think that I've grown in I've grown then. in grace. <laughs> Still but, room. But I mean I'm just being completely that's honest. That's what we want. I, I, I do. That's why we say we tackle everything. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about um, praying in football. You know, I, I do think if players want to do that, they certainly have a right mm -hmm. to do that. And uh, I, I don't think anybody should be pressured into doing that or should be judged if they don't do that. So very good. That's my, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's great to see it, um, but I, I mean, I don't have any. I, I've never had a problem with a public display of a person's yeah. faith, but I have the same faith, so it's fine with me. There's another uh, admission, or if I'm going to my Catholicism confession, I used to pray for victory all the time, you, man. <laughs> I know God doesn't care who wins, but you know why not throw it in just there? in case, right? <laughs> just in case he decides to start caring. All right. Well, we care about you guys. We want you to buy into the podcast. Uh, I think most podcast platforms are, ex are excited about the number of listens that we're getting. We're excited about it. We hope you'll subscribe. That'll help us. And uh, we'll be back Friday with another edition of the Spielman and the Hooli podcast. Thank you for joining us. And remember, email the show, SpielmanHooliPodcast.com.